Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, as ever, um, if there is, um, uh, you know, any sense of kind of just a new sense of wisdom and understanding just emanating from me, this evening. That is because I turned 40 on, on Thursday. And um, yeah, I'm just waiting for the goodness of middle age just flow through me out towards you. We may be waiting for some time. Anyway. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> He's offering me a chair. Uh, right. Well, listen, uh, one opportunity I've had a little bit uh, this week, uh, birthdays, always a time for sharing stories. And um, you get older, you get a bit more interested in where you came from. And so uh, I got sent this week by um, a member of our family who is astonishingly interested in family origins. I mean, astonishingly interested in family. You might, some of you might know those kind of people. Uh, And I got a family tree going back 17 generations. And I was looking through the faces on this thing, because there were a couple of mugshots, to find any insight about my identity and character. And I came across this chap here. There he is. That's, that's Albert. Uh, Albert is helping me understand what my wife means when she says I'm being grumpy. <laughs> I'm just releasing my inner Albert. The stories, the places we come from, they matter a great deal. Also, in our spiritual self-understanding, I wonder whether you've had a chance to share your, your testimony Um, how you came to faith. Perhaps you're still searching for God. And it doesn't feel at the moment that you can really just say, tell one coherent story of of your journey. By the way, it's fantastic. If if that's where you are, you're here, you're seeking, it's lovely to have you with us. I do hope you can feel that through being here, you can dig deeper and find out what journey the Lord is taking you on. But perhaps for some of you, you have got a story to tell of how you came to Christ. Perhaps it was a Damascus Road kind of dramatic turnaround story. It might be uh, an apparently on the surface less miraculous, although actually, in fact, just as miraculous story of God drawing you gently and slowly over the years, whether it's through a Christian family or just by coming to church day after day, year after year. Well, just as telling our own stories as Christians helps us understand what's important, what really matters about our faith, I believe that as a church, as a whole church, we need to tell the story of the church. It helps us to go back to the beginnings of the church. And that's what we started doing last week, and we're going to continue to do over the next few weeks in our evenings. We're going to be trying to understand how did we get here? How did we get here? And by that, I don't mean which bus did we take, nor actually even who invited us, but how did we, how did this spiritual movements that started 2,000 years ago after the life of Jesus, how did that end up with 
an estimated 37 million churches meeting today in Jesus' name. What is it that lit the blue touch paper, if you like? What is it when you strip it down? Well, in a moment, we're going to have a reading from the Bible. Hannah's going to come and read the next section of the Acts of the Apostles, which is the basis for all our sermons in these couple of weeks. Um, and, and then I'm going to try and unpack that a bit for you. But just before we do that, we're going to take a pause, as we often do. And this is a chance to uh, chat a little bit to those around you. Uh, perhaps you can make the most of this opportunity just to introduce yourself. You may be new or new to the person who's sitting there. Just say hi, um, say how you've come to be here today. Or perhaps you might want to share something of your testimony. How, how did you come uh, to faith? If you do that, by the way, you're going to get five minutes, right? So if you want to hear the story from the other side, after about two and a half, you're going to have to just you know, wrap it up, okay? Um, and uh, if actually none of that it quite tickles your fancy, go and get some coffee or something like that, um, or just take a wander around the building. Anyway, five minutes, um, and then um, we're going to get stuck into the story of the church. Okay, off you go. Come and take a seat, um, and uh, don't feel like that was your only opportunity, by the way. You can, you can continue those discussions and share what else, and, you know, if you only got to the point where you were like 22 and a half, and there you were hanging off this cliff, wondering whether it really was, you know, the Lord was with you that much. Anyway, whatever cliffhanger you were on, you can finish that story and tell people how, how it worked out, but not for now. Because we're going to get to the scriptures. So if you want to find a device or open your Bible, go to the beginning of the book of Acts. If it's in your uh, pew Bible, it's page 1103. Remember, last week we got to the bit where Jesus had ascended to heaven. And just before he went, he promised his spirit to his disciples, a spirit that would give them power to, to witness, to be his witnesses. And then after Jesus ascended to heaven, they were all still in Jerusalem. And they were filled with the spirit. And they began to speak in all these languages. And those languages turned out to be the very languages of all the people who were staying in Jerusalem. So kind of that whole prophecy that the gospel was going to go out started happening. Because people were like, ah, I know what these people are saying. They're speaking my language. Now I can understand as a Persian or whatever uh, about um, Jesus. And we finished with that verse. Uh, what does this mean? People asking, what does this mean? mean. Okay, Hannah is going to come up here, and she's going to read from uh, verse 14. Uh, it's found on page 1102 of your pew Bibles. <laughs> Peter addresses the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the first days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. 
and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by, all mir- by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will, be, will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an o- on oath that he would place one of his descendants on, the, on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see, what, now, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give, it, to, give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Hannah. Right, do keep that open uh, if you can, either on your device or in your Bible. So... I took you back to verse 12, amazed and perplexed. Everyone was looking at this extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit, and they said, what does this mean? And here, what we've read today was Peter the Apostle's answer. His answer to what does this mean? 
And you might summarize what he said under three headings. And there's a sort of bonus extra one at the end for good measure. Number one, Jesus is king. Number two, so repent and be baptized. And number three, and do church. And this is point three and a half, bonus point. God is going to add a whole lot of other people as well if you do that. Jesus is king. So repent and be baptized and do church. And God's going to add some people. First of all, Jesus is king. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Have a look at it there. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. First thing to understand about what was going on in those early days, I don't know whether you've ever ever happened to you, you've ever tried to contain something that is uncontainable. Perhaps you had the the misfortune of a flood in your house and uh, you've you've tried with a couple of sandbags to sort of keep the waters back. Uh, And even as you try to stack them up, you can see it's not going to hold and the water just floods in. Uh, or perhaps like me, you've got one of those uh, clever hose attachments uh, that's meant to kind of, you know, spare your clothes in the garden. But then you switch it and then the pressure's too much and suddenly it just all explodes onto you and the end gets blown off the hose and you get covered. The Jewish authorities of Jesus' time wanted to cancel Jesus. And they had a, they had a careful plan and a well-organized plan to do so to take him out of circulation, snuff out his life, shut off the movement. But, the Apostle Peter says, that was a futile endeavor. Not even death could hold Jesus, let alone any human cunning plan. And that's because Jesus is the king. He is the one with divine authority of God. Nothing can get in his way. Verse 32, if you flip flip over the page, paints this amazing picture for us. It says um, towards the end, God, uh, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and is poured out what you now see and hear. I don't know whether you're keen on seating plans. If anyone's got a wedding coming up, you might be slightly in that zone. Certain men might be in the zone of seating plans. This is about heavenly seating plans here. And it may sound like a somewhat strange way of putting it, but it's all the language of authority. Peter, the apostle, is trying to say Jesus is sat at the right hand of God. That's because he has got, he's he's in charge. He's a figure of authority. And from there, he says he's pouring out this Holy Spirit that had already been promised. So Jesus is king. And then actually goes on and there's another kind of seating related image to cap it all off. Um, Peter knows the scriptures really well. And so he starts reading from the Psalms. And he says, David, who, who wrote the Psalms, did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord. So apparently there's David writing a Psalm. And apparently he's got another, there's a Lord and then there's a my Lord. So there's kind of two figures in the Psalm. 
He said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I don't know if your footstools in your, in your houses. Not, it's not kind of the kind of thing we do very much these days. But you get the idea. Jesus has a footstool. And his enemies are underneath his feet. It's a picture of amazing victory. So this Jesus figure, Peter is saying, he is, he's king. He's king over everything. Although you try to crucify him, he is Lord and Messiah, his king. So the first thing I'd like to ask you this evening is whether you have ever considered Jesus like that. Have you ever thought of him as king? Now, there's lots of other pictures of him in the Bible, like shepherd or servant or sacrifice. And he's all those things as well. But he's also king. So what's it like when he shows up at Pentecost? It's a little bit, only a little bit, like the day in the office when the new department boss arrives. Or the first day of the new head at school. Or the the day that the CEO makes their new appearance. There is this new authority figure on the scene. That's what's happening in Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Spirit. It's... An authority that was there before kind of gets made public. Now, it's only a bit like those examples I gave because usually you get a new figure of authority. They've got some strengths and some weaknesses. Um, they might be capable of taking the situation in hand. They might not. But Jesus' kingship is, is a glorious thing. It's an amazing thing. Here is a wonderful figure of authority, a, the, the best king that you can imagine who's come to take the situation in hand. And so... Um, he quotes this psalm. He says, you have made known to me the paths of life. You've, you've, you will fill me with joy in your presence. That's the kind of feeling that it is when this king arrives. So let's get back to where we, we started this question. What does the outpouring of the Spirit right at the beginning of the church mean? It means that Jesus is in charge. That's the beginning of the church. Now that is actually quite a thing if you think about it. I used to be a religious studies teacher, and as part of religious, anyone remember their religious studies lessons? One of the things that you, you did is you teach the world religions. Uh, but I, I always struggled with, with that particular part of religious studies because what you would do is you would start by describing what people from different religions do. You know, here are some Christians, they go to this building, that's called the church. They sing hymns and they, you know, they say prayers and here are Muslims and they go to a mosque and so on and so forth. We used to talk about what people do. Now, that may be true, but it's not an adequate explanation of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is today what it is, not because this is how Christians behave. It is here, we're here today because there was a great act of God 2,000 years ago, that has continued all the way to this day. To really understand the Christian faith, you need to understand that God is on the move and has been in a particular way since his spirit was poured out. Now, once you you understand that, it changes everything. And and so it was for the people who who were there at that time. Have a look at verse 37. The people who were, who were there begin to understand that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I wonder whether that's ever happened to you. You've begun to understand something about what God has done in Jesus. And you think, man, what do we do about this? It's not the most obvious place to start. You know, sometimes we, we come to faith because we face particular trials or we, we start looking for answers because we're dissatisfied about life or, or whatever. And all of that's fine. But these guys, they came to faith because they saw God do something massive. And they thought, I've got to make sense of this. I've, I've got to respond to this. This is mind-blowing. What should we do? Well, the Apostle Peter explains to them what they should do, and actually to us as well. And the answer is quite extensive here. We're not going to go into full detail, but let's just, I want to pick out a couple of details. Number one, he says, repent and be baptized. Verse 38, answer to the question, uh, what should we do? He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, repent and be baptized. This is sort of an explanation of really what it means to become a Christian. So repent, that means turn around, put in a new destination in your sat-nav, spiritually speaking, if you like. When you come to Christ, you, you have to first turn your back on wherever you were going before. It, me, it means explicitly, okay, whatever I was doing before, I'm, I'm now going to head Christ's way. Now, if you've been a Christian for, for, more, for longer than five minutes, you, you'll know that putting that new destination in the sat-nav does not stop you regularly taking the wheel and driving off in a different direction. But being a Christian is someone who's got that destination in the sat-nav. So you may have veered off, but, you know, the sat-nav is busy recalculating. It says, by the way, you're going back there. And you're still in basic agreement. I still want to head where the sat-nav tells me it's going, even though that is kind of a slightly circuitous route now that what I've just done. It's a new direction. The irreducible minimum is this. The Christian is the one who recognizes they want to head God's way. They want to be aligned with the rule of King Jesus. That's, that's repentance. And then he says, he says, repent and be baptized. Get baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, what is that about? Well, baptism is uh, it's like an acted out version of putting your trust in Jesus. Baptism is it's a sacrament, so it's an outward sign of an inward reality. And uh, we had a baptism here this morning. It was a glorious occasion. I, um, I, I, I was profoundly rejected by the uh, young lady who was uh, trying to be baptized. If you want some laughs, you can watch it on the live stream again and catch up. Uh, but the basic spirit of baptism is the same every time. You come and you make a public declaration of your faith, that you want to commit to follow Christ and be associated with him. Now, if you're a believer and you haven't been baptized yet, I would encourage you, get baptized. I think that's what the Lord wants us to do. Um, and I'm looking into planning a baptism uh, service for the autumn term. So I'd love to have you on board for that. I know some of you already spoken to me about that. So repent and be baptized. Now you do that, and the most amazing blessings come out. Have a look again at verse 38 for that. You do this for the forgiveness of your sins. So the the consequence of repentance of faith is that all the guilt of the many ways that you and I don't recognize King Jesus, that gets taken and is completely wiped away. The forgiveness of sins. 
And the second amazing benefit comes straight after these verses, verse 38. It says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the life of God in you. And and in case we we thought that's only for super wacky ancient people 2,000 years ago, just keep reading. In case you thought it was only for early Christians. It says, this promise is for you. That's the people who were standing around at that moment. And then it says, and your children. Play it out all the way down to us. And and then you're like, yeah, but I'm not sort of that close to that. And then, then it says, and for all who are far off, including all those in South Croydon 2,000 years later. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'd like to understand more about the Holy Spirit, I can recommend listening to Elliot's talk from last week. He, he spelled out in a number of really helpful ways what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. We'll be thinking more about it, that in the coming weeks as well, because it comes through here in Acts. But that's the first thing. Jesus is king means repent and be baptized and then receive these wonderful blessings. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus is king, so repent and be baptized, and then do church. Do church. That's what the next little section of teaching is about. It's not a bad summary of verses 42 to 47. So in verses 42 to 47, it says, They devoted themselves, that's the new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to, the num- to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, when we read these verses, obviously it's telling us about something that happened in time. And just because it happened doesn't mean it ha- must happen again. Okay, it's, it's okay, and I think we can all be okay about the fact that we are not in the temple. There, isn't, there aren't any temples around here. We're going to struggle to find one in order to gather in one. Just because they did it, we don't have to do it. But there's a lot here in these verses that gets picked up in the rest of the Bible about what all Christians should do. And I want to just pick, pick out some of those things. They did church. And I just want to pull it out from that first verse, really. Number one, these guys didn't just start a kind of individual life of Christian discipleship. They, they came together in deep relationships. And they had regular practices. The things that they did that shaped their lives. And that's still part of what it means to be a Christian. So, for example... Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is they spent a lot of time listening to Peter and the other apostles tell them about Christ and what it would mean to follow him. Now, we don't get to do that because Peter's sadly no longer around. But that's great if you think about it because there's only one Peter and it would be a very, very large auditorium if we all had to pack in there and how would we transport that. What we have is the scriptures. We have all Peter's writings and a bunch of the other apostles' writings as well. So we devote ourselves to reading the scriptures, studying the Bible together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That is, they had a common life. They were in each other's lives. 
formally, informally, regularly, uh, in gatherings, in occasional encounters. They shared their worries. They shared their stories. They shared their joys. It tells us a bit later on, they, they shared their possessions. In fact, when people had need, someone would sell something so they could meet that need. Now, this is an extraordinary picture. And I think in this church, we've already got a bit of a sense of what all this means. And it, I, I've learned a great deal from you. I love it when Lincoln comes, uh, you know, always, always a, a standard moment, halfway through our uh, potluck things next door. And I go up to Lincoln and I say, oh, this is fantastic, this wonderful barbecue, whatever you put on. He says, this is fellowship. We've got to do more fellowship. He's, he's absolutely right. Bringing people together, sharing our lives together. Now, here's the thing. In a church of 200 people or 400 people, however you want to count the number of people in this church, you can't do this with everyone. It's exhausting. You forget the name of someone when you, you, know, when you go around. But you can do it with 10 or 20 people. And actually, that's what our home, home groups and small groups are mainly for. That's a great place to properly share your life. If you're not in one, I'd love to help you get into one. Do talk to me or to Natasha about that. But let's just, let's just be clear. This level of common life, I bet you when you were reading it like I was earlier today, is pretty countercultural, isn't it? This is pretty out there. We live in super individualistic, self-sufficient West. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's not get too dependent on each other because that would just be weird. And actually, what these early believers were encouraged to do is be properly in each other's lives. And when we do that, there's risk. But we also learn so much more. We get the riches of relationship with one another. So they had a fellowship, a common life. Thirdly, they broke bread regularly together. They devoted themselves to apostle teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It's probably referring to the practice of um, the, the Passover meal that Jesus instigated, remembering his death. That's what we're going to do later on. That's a wonder, wonderful way of focusing on the cross together. And finally, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. And we're going to read on in the book of Acts. Uh, there's a lot of praying that goes on, lots of prayer meetings. And this too, this church too, has a great culture of prayer. Depending how long you've been around or where you get to, you'll have found out something about that. Did you know that every Saturday there is a group of wonderful saints who get together on Zoom, I think these days, and pray for everything that happens in the week? You could join them. I wonder whether you've ever been to our monthly prayer meeting at Prayer at the Center. It's a wonderful thing. 40 to 70 people uh, at the moment on Zoom. Sometimes we do it in person as well. Each month, praying for everything that's going on in the church family. But, but, there could be more people there. And I'm going to uh, tell you what, I, what happened this week when I was on prayer at the center. I did one of those slightly embarrassing things where I looked around and I thought, what a glorious collection of saints. But I noticed an age profile. And so I said to them all, look, you're not going to the grave with this behavior, Okay. In 20 years' time, I, I want to I be more than just me, Stu, and Sam uh, on, on prayer at the center, right? Now, I told them that, and they're going to come after you, okay? So if people start knocking on you and saying, have you thought about prayer? They, they don't necessarily all talk like that, but uh, that's what's going on, right? Okay? They're going to be trying to persuade you to pray, right? So watch out for that. Um, 
We, we, but we do want that, right? It's part of the, it's there in our vision. We want to be, everything we do wants to be soaked in prayer, just like the early church. Okay, now uh, that's done. I could say a whole load more, but I'm not going to. Four things, not a bad checklist for us to do church. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Jesus is king. That was the fact. God has done something right at the beginning. He's come into this world in the Lord Jesus, who's acting, who's doing something. They were cut to the heart. What should we do? Answer. Repent and be baptized. Perhaps for you this evening, that's just news. You never even thought about that. That it might have an impact on you personally, that you need to personally make that decision. I'd love to speak to you afterwards. Repent and be baptized. Perhaps you've gone through all of that. And actually you're just wondering, can I just kind of continue, sail on just as the little island of me? No, do church. Do church. Come and be part of this fellowship, this rich community that the Lord has created. And actually this is a wonderful place, this church, to learn more about that. And then, don't worry, the bonus point is going to be really, really short. God added. God added. They got on with doing church and the Lord just added to their number. And I just think it's worth just a moment just looking around you because I've been coming to this evening service for a little bit of time now and there are more people in here than there were right at the beginning. And, okay, partly that is because we've all had COVID and we're all wondering whether we could come out or not. Or, you know, Perhaps some of us are coming more regularly than we were before. But the Lord is adding. The Lord is adding to our number. That's a wonderful thing, something to celebrate. And let's pray for more. And not just people who are Christians elsewhere have come to us, but people who've come to faith here. Let's pray for that. All right, that'll do for this evening. Let's just take a moment of quiet. Um, Perhaps you want to keep your scriptures open. Have a look at those verses in 42 uh, to 47. Scan over the whole passage if you like. And just commit whatever it is the Lord is saying to you to him. And then in a moment, I'm going to lead us as we come to the Lord's Supper. Just a moment of quiet now. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.